Welcome to the Uncovered Legacy Podcast, where storytelling is not just left at the kitchen table. Many of us walk through life leaving a silent legacy, but I am here to change that by keeping those stories alive. Each tale will allow us to learn, discover, listen, and remember. I am your host, Curtis Burke. Thank you for listening. She is a member of SAG and AFTER and A&E. Her first movie was Gary Marshall's The Princess Diaries. Some of her television credits include DC Legends of Tomorrow, Shameless, 911, Scandal, Grace and Frankie, Law and Order, and Heroes, just to name a few. She has proudly written and continues to perform her solo show, Totally, that is receiving rave reviews and awards worldwide. She's a best-selling author, internationally acclaimed, multi-award winning solo performer, sex positive, sexual assault awareness advocate, singer, dancer, producer, and the founder of the Embrace Your Cape. Please welcome to the show, Kim Lee Smith. Welcome to Uncover Legacy. Thank you for coming on the show today. How are you? I am fantastic. It's so good to see your face. It hurts. It's so cute. <laughs> it feels like a hundred years because it was 2012. It's been a decade. It's, it was 2012 when we did the one person show. My father had just passed away and mm-hmm. I started class that January. I'm not even sure why, but I was like, I'm going to do a class. People had asked and you were there. And um, a decade later, here we are finally having that opportunity to speak. Yes. So let's talk about this. I met you through my one person show, the stamp of approval, but you had already had your show, Totally Kim Lee. Mm-hmm. And this is why I wanted to bring you on the show because everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of people always want to do a one person show, right? But when you do it, I don't think they realize that you are three people at one time. You're the writer. A lot of times you're the producer. You're, you're, you know, you're changing your own outfits and you have to do it all. And so I've always admired that. And so when I found out about your class through a friend of mine, I was like, she produces our one person show. She directs our one person show. She markets our one person show. She's our counselor. And so (laughs) shout out to Totally Kim Lee and the legacy that you have created for so Mm -hmm. many of us with our shows. And I've had Renee Panay on here on season one. And you know I love her show and her one per, her one woman show. It's it's really touching. And so I felt like why not bring the teacher who taught us on here and built our legacy to tell our story. So thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Oh my God, that totally touched my heart. Now I'm gonna cry. <laughs> you were born in Japan. Touchdown, Japan. Um, I was born there. I lived there until I was 10. And then we moved to Leavenworth, Kansas, where my mother was from. But I I feel like growing up in Japan and then coming back to the States, like when I was in Japan, you know, everybody was military because we were military brats, Air Force. And so everybody was just everybody. It didn't matter your color, your race, nothing. It only mattered that you were military. Like there were officers and then there were you know everybody below the officers and we were just amongst everybody and so we had friends of all walks of life and Japan really because it was my formative years you know zero to seven are your formative mm-hmm. years so formative right. years spent in Japan and 
it changed me in such a way because I wasn't raised like the average American and not that I have anything against average Americans and how they were raised, but we weren't weaned on television, right? Like we were like, it was a different kind of creative outlet in Japan. Even in school, like we learned about every culture, like we would have cultures like every three months and you would bring food from different cultures and we would taste them and then do a presentation. So it wasn't like America is the best. It was like, we want to know about everybody. And even though this was an American airbase, we learned about every culture that you could imagine. So by the time I got to the States when I was 10, I was already you know, I had my four, first passport at 10 years old. Like I was mm -hmm. already a world traveler. I was already- Your eyes a, were open. My eyes were open. I was experienced and, you know, mm -hmm. then I came to the States and I didn't know there was even racism until I came to the States, right? Like all yeah. of these things, right? We didn't know people, <laughs> I was like, oh, people hate black people. I didn't even know that. Right. I just didn't have that. So um, that was the beginning of my story. I don't know if you had mm -hmm. any questions that but like no that was the beginning of the story and my go ahead no and so which one of your parents were military again uh my father is air force and my mother okay. grew up in kansas so we left yakota air base in japan went to leavenworth kansas where my mother was born and raised and she's from a family of 12 so we went from like our small five like me and my brother <laughs> my sister and mom and dad to like having like 500 cousins <laughs> we was throwing bricks and like we <laughs> Mom and dad bought a house right up the hill from grandma. So you could walk down to grandma's house in five minutes. Wow. I love that. No one South Broadway, y'all. That's where they grew up. <laughs> I was there up until like a decade ago, like 1801 mm -hmm. South Broadway, two bedroom house with 12 children. You know, they wasn't playing. You know, my mom was, we raised our food. We raised everything. They had a garden. There wasn't any like. There wasn't no grocery store. Black people wouldn't go to no grocery store in Kansas. <laughs> you know, we had all these cousins and all this. There's about 200 of us now with cousins having babies and blah, 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 mm -hmm, blah, blah. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. a giant family. So from Japan into this beautiful landscape, landscape of everybody you could ever imagine. You know, mm -hmm. there's Cherokee Indian in us from my grandma's side, like just all of us. And Oh, I can't tell you how much I love my family. Like, you know, I donated a kidney to my cousin. So, like, we're tight. We're like, you know, family, want, family. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there ain't no joking about that. So, you did donate a kidney to, to your cousin. It was a first cousin, I'm assuming. I mean, not that it matters. But tell me how that, how that works. In all actuality, when you are about to donate an organ, especially a kidney, they try to wean you out. So, they do all of these tests. So that you don't, you aren't able to give the kidney. And then if you mm. pass all those tests, they're like, okay, she can give a kidney. Like so they're <laughs> right. like, you have to wean them out. But as long as you're not weaned out, you end up having one. So that was an extensive process. I think I was home for like a month and a half. Um, I went back to Kansas to do it because I had moved to LA by then. And from, what was it? From, uh, from Kansas, when I graduated college, to Chicago, Chicago, to New York, New York, to LA, and that was that. But I was in L.A. briefly and then flew back to Kansas and donated a kidney. First cousin, Stuart Rathman, I love you. <laughs> that is, that's talking about giving. I mean, so that's remarkable. And I'm sure he's grateful for that kidney. Um, mm -hmm. 
And everybody can't do that. You know what I mean? Everybody doesn't want to do it either. So the fact yeah. that you even volunteered to even find out if you were eligible <laughs> is a stepping stone right there. So yeah. um, that beautiful. was God. That had nothing uh-huh. to do with me. I'd be like, right. I really feel like there was a whisper. It was Christmas. I remember he had, when you have a, when you're on dialysis, they give you a catheter that they sew into your arm and your veins so that they can do dialysis through that so that your mm-hmm. veins don't collapse. So he had this catheter and I was like, what is that? And he was like, oh, that's a catheter. And I was like, for what? I didn't even know at that time you could donate a kidney. And I remember him going, oh, my kidneys have failed and um, I need a kidney donor. And I just remember I heard this the, the whisper of God mm. saying, donate a kidney. I said, oh, I can donate a kidney. And that's kind of how it all happened. Like it wasn't I was young, so I, I don't think I even consciously understood what I was even saying. So that's why I said that's, that was God. He don't play. How was he when you first said it? I mean, I'm sure he didn't take you oh, serious said, at no. first. No, yeah. no, mm-hmm. not going to do it. And then mm-hmm. two years into dialysis, he phoned me while I was living in Chicago and said, hey, did you really want to do that? And I said, yes. And uh, moved out here to LA and he's like, it's time. So I flew back home and they do all the work up and it was my left mm-hmm. kidney and uh, damn, you know, when you do something like that, you kind of, it's not like something you have on a list of things to do. Oh, one day right. I'll do right? <laughs> right. You know, you're like, well, maybe I'll be in a TV show or I'll do this or do that. But like, it's not uh-huh. on the list of things to do. So the, the amount of life that was changed because of that, I don't, it doesn't, it's almost like I don't care what else, not that I'm saying I don't care what else happens in my life. Like I'm not goal, like I'm there goal oriented but that be able to save a human's life was the biggest thing that I could ever imagine doing nothing kind of seeds that in a way I could win an Oscar and be very happy about it but mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to save my cousin's life so and the fact that you guys were matched is oh. is like an Oscar yes. on top of that you know because yes. you're not even siblings you're you know your first cousins and they, I, from what I understand past first cousins is kind of like it gets real slim even yes. within siblings. So, so what made you start your show? Kidney <laughs> donating. Okay. I remember this. That's what's funny how we segued into that. I was, I'm not a drug person. Drugs were never my jam. Never was a drug person. Never experimented with drugs. Like drugs. Remember the uh, New Jack City? <laughs> yes, yeah. It scared yeah. me straight. <laughs> I never did drugs because of that, but uh, I found out that morphine and me mm. are really funny. So <laughs> I'm on morphine post kidney transplant and I'm laid in the bed and everybody's around all my cousins, all the nurses and doctors have like pulled up chairs because I'm telling everybody's story. <laughs> yeah, my auntie rolled over her dog three times, killed three of them babies. <laughs> everybody's dirt. Everything uh-huh. that might have been inside of me was coming out and uh-huh. people were laughing so hard and my mom was like you guys gotta be careful you don't want to bust a stitch but people were laughing and that I was laughing I was hallucinating doing everything you can imagine on this drug which is probably why I'm glad I was never a heroin addict but <laughs> morphine and me are very funny and it brought out all of this truth and I remember after that when I finally got out four days later somebody's like oh you should write a one-woman show and I was like I am not a writer. But anyway, thank you for playing this game with me. And um, about a year went by and it kept ticking at my brain. I should write a one-woman show. 
you should write a one woman show. Oh, I should write a one woman. Oh, should I write a one woman show? I might write a one woman show. Oh, it could be neat. So I ended up talking myself into it. And I took this writing class and it was terrible. I was terrible. <laughs> I was so bad. Even the day before the performance, it was like a weekend workshop. And then on the Sunday, you do the day before the performance. I didn't have anything. And the teacher looked at me and she goes, just get up on stage and talk. And I got up on stage and my whole show came out of me. Again, that was God. My whole show came out of me, or the second half of my show. And I remember I had somebody record it and then I transcribed it, performed it and standing ovation, everybody loved it. So then I met with a friend of mine. I was like, oh God, I only really don't have a show, but you guys, you want to do a one, one person show? So he and I rented a space and we were like, let's do this. And uh, I ended up coaching him the entire time, which is how I ended up teaching. I ended up coaching him the entire time. And um, his show was great. And two weeks before I was supposed to do my show, I didn't have a show. I only had like this little piece I had written out of, you know, being on stage in that class. And so I remember... Every day, though, during that time, this remember I kept saying the magic is going to happen every, when you were in class. Every day I would write. It was crap, but I would write. Throw it away and write. And so I went to sleep two weeks before the show, and I dreamt the beginning of my show. And I put them together, and that is how I started my show. That's how and you get since it. then, it has morphed and changed and grown and become a million other things. And it's in a new version. And I'm uh -oh. really really uh, grateful totally kim lee with the capital letters totally yeah <laughs> <laughs> so but what made you start a class though to help other people because you could have been like was it the same thing with the kidney kind of like oh i should try that and yeah well it's funny because when i was kind of creating the show and doing it on this stage and helping my other friend get his show together like, I really just enjoyed kind of helping him tell his story. So mm -hmm. I spent so much time on him that I really didn't put any time into myself, which is why, you know, be in my class and be like, just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. The magic mm -hmm. is going to happen. Uh, don't bring me back. <laughs> yeah, he's having drama. He's disgusting. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I kind of looked. Like everything that I'd ever done, I was like, what would I, what would a course that I would do look like? And I pulled from this teacher and that teacher, not pulling like their ideas, but I liked it. was kind of neat. Oh, that was kind of neat. But I was, you know, creating what worked for me. And I wanted to start a class because I really believe in storytelling. I think storytelling is what lives are made of. You know, when you think of the day before there was television, people would get around their campfires and mm -hmm. they would tell Story, tell stories right yeah. acting is you know that's why they called them plays because it was a time for play and storytelling we've gone so far away from that now because it's so tight and stringent and not heartfelt but for me i believe that a really great story has to come from your guts period yes yeah. you know there was people that mm -hmm. did it in class and people that didn't. And mm -hmm. you saw the difference. It was like, <laughs> are you willing to expose everything that you are for this? Are you willing to tell your true stories? And even when we look at television and film right now, the ones we love the most are the ones that change us, right? The stories that make us go, oh, that story. I still think back to Color Purple. Mm -hmm. I know it's 
a million yeah. years. That movie changed me. That storytelling changed me. Whoopi Goldberg is one of the main reasons why I did my one woman show because of her show Whoopi. Now, when I watched the first time, remember I made y'all watch that. When I watched the first time, I didn't even conceptualize how powerful and amazing she was. And then as an adult, I rewatched it. I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, mm -hmm. This wasn't actually funny. This was mm -hmm. some serious shit. So yeah. it really... Yeah, if you because you made you guys watch it in class, right? I think you did, but I, I know what you're saying, but I forgot that she did have a one-woman show. But it, it makes you, as we grow, you appreciate things. It's kind of like with your parents, things that they go through. Yeah. You know, you look at them for... At, you know, as a kid, as mommy and daddy, they can't do anything wrong. And then as you get older, they become your friend. And so you start understanding as you date and break up and move and get a new job. Like you can appreciate that stuff more. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. The circle, yes. circle of life. <laughs> we warp into our parents and our ancestors a lot of times. Well, you already are because you a daddy now. So yeah. You get it. I, just, I'm, yeah. Like this. I'm on a totally different level now. I'm still spaced out and in denial. Like I'm still trying to understand. <laughs> it still feels uncomfortable for them to call me dad. Like, you sent me videos the other day and I was like, oh my gosh. Little bird, is it not that you were little or young or any of that? Yeah. But you had um, those beautiful, and you still have it. You had those beautiful, soulful eyes that... Um, we're magic. You looked at life as magic and it was really Thank you. great to have the opportunity to work with you and help you cultivate that story. And, you know, if you were still doing it, it would grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. Yeah. Right? It was so neat to see you come to life. And we didn't know, I remember everybody comes out, I didn't know Curtis could do it. Like we just were surprised <laughs> at what came out because you were yeah. kind of quiet when you came to class. And Did, then was I? Okay, good. Yeah. So quiet. And then you were magic on that stage like you came to life it was so great to see and for me that's what teaching really is and it's so like I wouldn't even call it teaching I don't think teaching and directing and all of that stuff really is what what the gift of directing and teaching really is is to allow that artist to bring out the best of themselves mm -hmm. right? I feel like it's like a therapist yeah. like a like a motivational therapist <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean that sh the show it you just never know what's going to come out, and it just like it it has to be truthful. And I remember I was so ashamed to tell my story at first, and but then I was just like, somebody's going to need to hear this story. I was like, how selfish am I? Because I'm not where I was; it's where I am today. And yeah. so I thought about that, and I was just kind of like, it it was it was believable and magical. And thank you for helping all of us do that. Well, I got to tell you, 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 even the students got to be proud of their fellow students mm -hmm, because we mm -hmm. all went on that journey together. We watched each other fight for our stories. We watched the people run away from their stories because they didn't really want to tell it. Right. right, we got to right. All of it. And then we were, you were trying to root them on to tell their truth, even though they couldn't get there. So it's like, you know, it's a choice. It's a conscious choice to really, tell an honest, real story. It's a conscious choice. And you made that choice. And I was really honored to be side by side with you for that. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. And I wanted, I, I feel like people should know more about your story. Tell us about Totally Kim Lee's One 
or is that or do you not want to tell too much? I know you can't you want people to come see the show. Uh, yeah, I mean in a least <sighs> roundabout way, it's really um autobiographical, but it's the story of me as a young girl in college, 17, being gang raped and the journey to letting go of that trauma and becoming the superwoman I am today. So because I like humor, you know, there's a lot, a lot of humor in it, which, I mean, you don't want to think, oh, this show about gang rape is all funny. It's not funny, but I think you you get to go on a nice roller coaster ride of me getting up and falling down and getting up and falling down. And I've added another fall down in there because, Uh-oh. you know, yeah. I'm about to miss off when I'm <laughs> off. really weren't, right? So right. it's, you know, I feel what people gain from it is that um, mm-hmm. there's a resilience in us that is unshakable if mm-hmm. you allow it to be there. And so in, that's in a nutshell what my show is about. And uh, we're working on a series with that right now. Like there, a lot has happened because of the show. And it's basically because of the honesty that comes with that show. And I'm so grateful that I did. I was just, you know, doing my gratitude. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so, so lucky that I had the opportunity to tell this story because this story has opened up a million doors for me. And um, it made me find my own voice and become my own human. It changed my acting career because I didn't have to be something somebody else needed me to be, but I knew I had something to bring to the table. Like it was really, it's been a gift that keeps on giving and I could not be happy about it so thank you thank you what what would your father say you think if he could see your show well isn't that interesting uh my father and mother have not seen the show uh it deals with some you know pretty heavy topics Mm. i don't know what daddy would say you know i think he'd want to kill the guys as my brother did my brother's an ex-navy seal so I think that, you know, definitely there was some anger. I have a friend uh, of a friend, like my partner's, he's got a guy that lives in this building. And he was like, the minute I realized that she was getting raped, I shut down. He goes, I couldn't watch the whole second half of the show. He's like, like there's the beginning, the middle. So the last half of the show, he's like, all I could see was red. I was about to, like, because like, I think in great storytelling, you bring people into that world. And so he was so into the world that he wanted to protect me through the whole second half. He's like, I got to see it again just so I can actually see how it ends because I was done. I was about to kill those guys. So I have a ba- a feeling like, like most men, especially, you know, men are protectors by nature, especially of women or, you know, whomever they love in that way. Yeah, dad would have been mad as hell. <laughs> would have been proud of me though I think he would have been really proud of me but my dad so old school very very old school I don't know if he could have mm-hmm. handled it he could handle it right now when did he you said he passed away before yeah. you did the show or he passed away December 27 2011 and remember we started class like January 10th or something like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. of 2012 so he passed away then and how have you been doing since then and Carried on his his legacy. Carry on your wayward son. 
There'll be truth when you are gone. I don't know why I love that song. So rock and roll. See, this is what happens when you're raised in Kansas and Japan. <laughs> I can rock and roll. No, I wanted to be a rock and roll artist. So bad. <laughs> but again, I love who I am. So I have no, mm-hmm. no shame. In my the game. black, the black kid in Kansas. There we go. <laughs> and literally this was what's so sad is I couldn't date any black boys because they were all my cousins. And I wish right. I was kidding. <laughs> And I'm not like it's like if right. they weren't my cousins, they felt like cousins because like the black because they married right. Somebody was yeah, married to somebody like already. Families yep. in Leavenworth, yes. and they all grew up together. So the black families that were in Leavenworth all grew up together. That was it. So you know, Aunt Carol, you know, like there was the south side and the north side, but it's like five minutes away from each other, which makes right. me laugh. Because my mom would be talking about the Southsiders. Ooh, they was different than the Northsiders. My <laughs> mom's family was one of the only black families on the South Side. But again, the North Side is like five minutes away up Broadway on the other side of the bridge, literally. Uh-huh. So um, what was your question? I was saying, um, how are you dealing how are you dealing with now what your dad's passing now that it's you been know, a couple of years? It's been a decade, weirdly mm-hmm. enough. Uh it's been a god almost eleven years. It'll be eleven years in this this December. You know, the first couple of years were really just heart wrenching. Um, you know, people lose people. You lose a you know a grandmother, but they're older and you're a little bit different. Than your actual parent, and until you lose a parent, you don't really get it. Like that whole thing, oh, they were in a better place, blah, blah, blah. It's really annoying because you want them here in your I don't, presence. Right, right. It's the worst thing that you can say. And I, I feel like a friend of mine and I, my business manager, her husband died of cancer very young into their marriage. And we're like, we got to write the real book of grief because the real book of grief sucks balls and it's mm-hmm. horrible <laughs> and it feels like utter crap. And you, it takes about two years to get on the other side of it when you're like, okay. I can talk about my dad without sobbing and screaming and wanting to, you know what I mean? I can talk about him now in a different way. So um, I don't know, you know, it's, it still feels like it was yesterday and it also feels like I'm far away enough from it to be healed around it. Um, but it was, it was, it was sad. It was a, it was a time of real, I think I, even like I would come and teach class and then I'd go home and sob. And then, you know, it was a very, very hard time, but I was glad that you guys were there and I was glad that, that I was yeah. Because they say when you're in your saddest times, if you're able to give, it will take the onus out of your own crap and help you heal. So being able to be a part of that and to love on you guys and you guys loved on me like, as a teacher, I'm gonna start crying. As a teacher and as a director, we gain so much from people that we work with. Like they become a part of our souls as much as hopefully we become a part of theirs. And I don't know if I would have made it through without you guys. Mm-hmm. I remember it was definitely difficult conversations sometimes for for you when he first passed because it was fresh. I mean, it was, yeah. and I'm happy that you were able to still continue with the class and i don't know your father but i feel like he was a strong black man i know we use that term a lot but he i feel like he military you know and just you know you come from a two-parent home and not that you can't be strong coming from that but i could just tell like his impact in your life and what he would have wanted for you is to keep forward i feel like in my head i feel like your father's like you better not stop doing 
this. You better finish this class. You better not, you know, you better not stop. And so I feel like, I don't know, in my head, I feel like when people die sometimes, like they implant, you start seeing them more in you. Like you start seeing your movements in him, like your hands yeah. or your eyes. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like. Let me see that thumb. Mm-hmm. Like you may not even notice it before, but now you can kind of like, I have his thumb. I have his laugh or like, or maybe you hear different things like, Kimmy, don't be a punk. Finish this. You know what I mean? like, He's probably slick. Hey, <laughs> right. I'd be like, okay. Like, <laughs> you know, even just as, a, you know, like you were saying, is it about being a father and having children mm. and um, mm-hmm. watching mm-hmm. them grow before you? Like, you just don't get your parents until you become old enough to go, oh, shit, when I used to crumble up my mom and dad's cigarettes and throw them in the you know, toilet and flush them, that, that was expensive shit. You know, back in the day, my stretch <laughs> right. was really expensive, and now I feel yep. like such a punk because I would throw them things away because I wanted to do right by my parents. But like, you know, they was doing the best they could, and on a military <laughs> salary, military folks don't make no gosh money. I mean, I'm serious. <laughs> right. like, we was broke. We didn't realize we was broken. Our family right. not really. We was middle class, and now we know pretty much that anybody that was middle class was broke. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We was middle class. We thought we right. were so we wasn't we wasn't poor, but we was middle class, which really is poor in our country, unfortunately. You know, the middle yeah. class washed out. So there's the rich and then there's the not so rich. <laughs> you didn't realize y'all were two paychecks away from y'all having that's to split up and live with somebody. <laughs> right. Living at right. grandma's house bedroom, like seriously. So like the fact that they were willing to say, and like my grandmother had my father when she was 14 and she was wow. a, uh, what do you call it? A, a minor. And so she was this little tiny half native American, half black woman about this big with like hair down to her back and they would drop her in a hole and she would drill. But when my dad was born, she had to leave him in Louisiana and go to San Francisco to learn how to mine. So my father didn't have a father didn't have much of a mother because she was only 14. So they were like brother and sister. Right, right. So, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, my dad, like I, I look at life now and I hope everybody, if you could take any nugget from this conversation is everybody has a journey. And just because some people's journey is not what you would expect them to do or how they were supposed to do it doesn't mean that it's not their journey and that I have to respect the choices that he made, even though he made bad choices in his life, he didn't have anybody to teach him right choices, right? So for me to judge him on all he could possibly do, right? Every human on this earth could only do as much as they could possibly do, their capacity. I have gone through so much trauma, but somehow the light has stayed in me. That's my journey. My journey is to be able to hopefully help people heal their trauma and their journey through their owning their story and owning their life. So, you know, when my dad passed, it finally hit on me. I was like, oh man, I gave him so much crap mm. for the bad choices that he made. What if mm-hmm. I had just accepted him for who he was? How or understood. Was. Yeah, had empathy. But your bro- you And I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not as much <laughs> as I possibly could because I was young and dumb and impressionable mm-hmm. and affected by his choices, right? But mm-hmm. I... It wasn't until he passed that we had many, many conversations since he's passed where I was like, oh, man, Dan, I'm so sorry. And when he died, I remember going, like, holding his hand and 
yeah, my sister, my brother's a Navy SEAL. My sister's older than me, and they were both crying in the corner. And I remember they were like, "Take this volume, take this volume." And I was like, "No, I want to feel this." And I remember holding my dad's hand and said, "Nothing you've done on this earth matters. The only thing that you need to know is that we love you with everything we've got, and that you were free to fly." And I watched the life come out of his, you know, out of his body. And I just remember going. If the only gift we can do on this earth is give those those that are passing before us the 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 freedom to go at their on their own terms, then that's our job, right? We wanted him to go to chemotherapy and do all this stuff, and he didn't want it. And so our job as his kids were to go, all right, this is how you want to go. You get to go, and to love him anyway, and not be mad that he didn't want to go through all the stuff that we wanted him to go through. Right. Right. Anyway, well, I mean, well, he still lives through you and, and your siblings and everybody yeah. else. So his legacy and and I do you think you channel that in the roles that you're getting now? Because you've been booking left and right. <laughs> I've been blessed. You know what it is? I think our whole lives, we think we're supposed to be a certain way. Right. We're especially mm-hmm. as actors. We got to fit. This is how they want us to do this role or this role. And once he died and in doing my show, I found my voice. And the truth of my voice is that I could be any of these characters that I'm auditioning for and booking to find the truth in them through my eyes has been the gift that keeps on giving. You know, I just got to do this great show and I got to play a black Rosie the Riveter. And when you think of Rosie the Riveter, you think of the one white woman from Michigan where she goes, yes, she can. Yes, and I remember I saw that all the black women that were there at the same time, and so I got to play this really great character, and I am so grateful. And it shifted things. It's like I am all of these people that I'm trying to play. I'm not trying to be a caricature, right? I'm trying to be a human being bringing these stories to life, and that is the best gift I ever got. Was not having to prove myself to anybody, not having to be more than I actually am, but being able to be present and bring things to life. And the fact that you can show that black women were working on those planes as well. Yes, you know, they why, were. Why the, why the men were at war too, you know what I mean? Because that's important. Janitors at the time, and then it shifted over in 1943, 44, 45, something like that. It shifted over and they were able to work but these black women would be in the back rooms they would take scraps and practice in the black rooms because they knew that one day they were going to get their shot to work on that plane so this storyline was so beautiful because at the end and in this story they end up letting us uh work on the plane two years before because they kind of went back in time and it was really powerful to be a part of uh, a storyline so beautiful and so full and so forgotten. Like we forget, mm-hmm. like we like only mm-hmm. white people worked on planes. No, right? No, why right. use us? Because we was it. You know what I mean? It was women. Right. And no, uh, go ahead. No, I would say no. So when is that coming out? Oh, it's already out. It was on actually a DC Marvel, a DC show called Legends of Tomorrow, and it wasn't mm. like. It wasn't like a, you know, big movie or anything, but this show, it was Mm. one of my favorites even before I booked it. But I remember getting that role in the justice that they did. Like they flew in a a real 1940s uh, plane and I'm like, and it was awesome. Mm -hmm. Such an experience. 
I feel like you have become like a political person in and in, in forced to be that like like myself. Do you remember when I posted the link uh, Abraham Lincoln that, that oh, statue yeah. and and how it put fire in both of us and I it was like something I hadn't it was just like it wasn't that I never seen but it felt like this is 2000 blah 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 like why is this statue it, it just felt so humiliating and belittling and how, how did it make you yeah crazy <laughs> we were sharing that post liking oh, it I, <laughs> you know the sad I, thing about it and where we are like where we are in the state of this world is that you know there's so much hate because what we forgot about is um Every, you know, hate comes from a place of sadness, right? Mm-hmm. We're living in a world where people hate themselves so much that they want to make other people's lives miserable. And instead of standing for what's right, they would fight to the end of the road. We're looking at the, the shooting yesterday. You've got children. It's like, how do people even feel safe walking down the street right now? And we are tied to these old traditions that are killing our country killing our literally killing like not just ta-da i started working with a bunch of like this group of white girls from college were like oh you can you talk to us and help us but nobody really 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 wants to change and as much as i love all of them nobody really 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 wants to change because if we really want to change we would it's been done a million times, right? But nobody really wants it to be different because they're doing just fine. Mm-hmm. And when you look at those little kids who got shot, said they were all little brown babies. Mm-hmm. You think white people with guns and the NRA give a about anybody that's brown or anybody literally that ain't got as much money as them? No. With the whole role versus weight. Like it is such. It's so despicable that it is embarrassing to say that I'm from this country. I've got friends from all over the world. My friends won't even come here because of the gun violence. They're like, I will never come to America again because they're afraid that they're going to get shot in the one shootout when they happen to be in Florida. It is a despicable time that we live in. And I don't know how we change it. Look, I'm not that political. I'm probably not that well read. Like, I'm just like that. I think you are. I mean, like, in a sense, like, I'm not, like, I'm not, I didn't go to Harvard. I didn't go to any mm-hmm. of these special schools. I'm a humanist, right? I love humans and how they tick. I, I My undergrads in psychology and sociology, like, I love that. That's where my jam is. And what I feel is when you look in these people's eyes that are so angry, they're just so, so sad. And because one day they will be gone and they're trying to hold on for dear lives. Ooh, don't don't that out there. People be like canceling my shit. <laughs> I'm not gonna be canceled. No, but like to me, it's about heart, right? Like even my rapists. Like I can look at my rapists and how sad they must be that they thought raping women was how you have sex. So I I say this with a compassionate heart, mm-hmm. right? The fact that you are so sad that you think having a gun. Mm. And gun, not right. wearing a mask is okay, right? Like it's like where where is your humanity for humanity? And that's really missing. It's a selfishness that is indescribable because 
do you think any of us wanted to wear a mask? That's a that's no, right, right. Agreed. I had like a, it was terrible, <laughs> but I yeah. did it. Because I believe that humanity is worth it. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's not I, about I, you. It's bigger than you. Yes, you know what I mean? I don't so because you know what, I don't ever want to make the mistake of shooting somebody by mistake or hurting somebody. Even though I will protect myself to the ground, but if I have to die for gunshot, then I would rather that than being somebody that killed somebody with a gun. But that is my belief, right? Because I believe that humanity is worth it. That's it. I mean, I'm just, what do you think? I mean, where's your mindset in all of this? I feel like I get tired of people saying we have to change, we have to change. And I feel like we have to have stricter gun rules. And I feel like people, parents or guardians have to be held responsible when your teenager come and takes this gun out of your house and shoots 20 people. And then he's shoots and kills himself and and that makes me even more upset when the the killer you know dies we don't get any any answers or in and so i feel like people need to be held accountable you don't and i personally don't feel like you need an ar-15 or you know if we're living like that ar-15 even the gang even the freaking hoodlums there they don't need no ar nobody needs that shit and the fact yeah that you could just buy them over the counter? Yeah. It's I honestly feel like if I could have my way, I feel like you should have to have your fingerprint on your gun before it could even load. Like there should be something where you have your fingerprint on it and then it, it alerts the police that you are the person who was identified to have this, this gun. And why do you need more than one gun? Like what, what happened to ADT? What happened to cameras? You know, so... I, I I don't understand it, and maybe I don't understand as much as I didn't grow up like that. But I don't I don't mind you having a gun, but I feel like if you're going to have a gun, then you have to be held responsible if it gets you're responsible for it. You're responsible for it. Look, my military dad, my brother has guns. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people I know have guns. I chose choose not to because it's not my thing, and I don't need that to feel protected. Period. That's me, my choice, my decision, right? But you are 1 million percent right. The people that have these guns are not responsible. And you go, I didn't know he was like that. How many times do we have to hear that? Go, I just didn't know he was that angry. Then you clearly are not connected to your child if that is what's happening. And it is happening at such a, it, it's sad that rape, uh, child molestation, uh, sexual harassment, guns become so a part of our everyday life that we're just like, oh, another shooting? Interesting. Right? That we could actually just be like, oh, this is a shooting this year. Cool. That's just what happens in America. And that's mm-hmm. the saddest reality. And that's the sad. And I don't, again, like, I, I don't claim to be the know-it-all and I know everything. I don't know how we fix it. You know what I mean? I don't know how we fix you know, this separate, like, we got two countries going on in here. You know what I mean? We got half America's this way and half America's that half way. A, yeah. If you're literally split in the middle, how do we how do we change that? I don't know. I mean, I think we, people like us, continue to talk the good talk and to take the action that we know we need to take and do what we've got to do. But, like, it, it comes down to if the politicians want people to have guns. They're going to let people have guns, period. That's it. They don't care. Yeah. But they will sure enough take away my human right to have an abortion or to do <laughs> right. anything with my own body. See, it comes down to money. They mm-hmm. don't really care about 
people's lives, all they care about is how much money's coming out of their damn pocket and how much money's coming in. As long as we let the people that have all the money and the greed and selfishness be in power, we will never see change because we just won't. And that makes my heart break. I say we got to keep doing the good fight. We got to mm-hmm. keep telling the, the good story. fight. I like that. We hope to inspire enough people to change. Well, thank you for coming on today on Cover Legacy and sharing so many detailed information about your personal life. Totally Kim Lee, the one woman show, sharing your father um, Mm -hmm. legacy and your your siblings and giving a kidney. And this is all part of why I wanted to do the show, because you're still uncovering your own legacy. And you're uncovering it by impacting other people. There's a little black girl in Kansas who's going to look at Kim Lee and realize that not only can she give a kidney, but she can still thrive and do what she wants to do in the world, whether it's be a nurse, a doctor, an actress. So I appreciate you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. And thank you for sharing your legacy by doing this, because, you know, it takes people like us to continue to see this world grow and change and prosper beautiful thank you kim lee i, I really appreciate it thank i love you, you. thank love you. you love to your family kim lee has been embracing her cape from the beginning dusting off her cape when she falls short and learning how to embrace the imperfections we are all born with has taken her far in life she continues to pour love into others and speaking up for people of color who may not have a platform to do so for themselves. Her one-woman show, Totally Kim Lee, is her true testimony and an example of how faith really works. Thank you for listening to Uncovered Legacy.